0: Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, tafsir, seerah, and much more. Thank you for listening to this podcast.
1: I بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين bear witness and testify that there is no worthy of worship except Allah. And I bear witness that Muhammad was the last and the final of the messengers sent to mankind. Brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My talk today, inshaAllah ta'ala, will be based around a tafsir of a short chapter in the Quran. And the reason why we do tafsir of the Quran, explanation of the Quran, is not only to better our understanding of the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thus gaining extra for in our sure, but also to draw some lessons in order to apply in our life today because the Quran is just as relevant today as it was 1400 years ago Quran is just as relevant today as it was 1400 years ago and when it comes to tafsir of the Quran a few factors have to come into consideration A few angles have to be covered. Number one, when was that ayah or that surah revealed? That has to be taken into consideration. Number two, what was the atmosphere at the time when this revelation came down? What was taking place on the ground? Number three, we have to speak about the asbab al-Nuzul, the reason for its revelation. And number four, we have to obviously understand the words that are used in this ayah or in this surah in the correct context. We have to understand the Arabic words in their correct context. The surah that I'll be explaining if you don't already know is surah Al-Kafirun. And I believe that this surah is very relevant for us today. And when we look around the world and we see this evident clash between Al-Haq wal-Batil, between Islam and kufr it is only يعني, befitting that we go through this explanation of this surah in order to draw some lessons from the struggle that took place in the life of the Messenger Because I mean, this surah, it, when we go through the tafsir, you'll see it clearly defines and depicts for us that struggle that took place in the life of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 13 years in Mecca and 10 years in Medina. This surah is a nice, a nice summary to that struggle. Before I begin insha'Allah ta'ala, I will mention my references because obviously I'm in no uh, situation myself to be giving tafsir. This is left to the scholars. So I have used the works of different scholars today. Uh, as for the modern day scholars, I have used the works of Sayyid Qutb in his volume in the shade of the Qur'an. Also, we look at the tafsir of Abu'l-A'la al mawdudi in his famous volume, Tafhim al-Qur'an. And when it comes to the classical scholars, I came across a book, and it's called The Light of the Qur'an. Uh, This is a translation of many of the classical scholars, uh, many of their works, in regards to two chapters, Surat al-Ikhlas and Surat al-Kafirum. A scholar has put together a summary of their work, and has translated it, for, for us inshallah ta'ala and those scholars, those classical scholars are Imam al-Tawari, Imam al bahawi Imam ibn al-Jawzi, Imam al-Qurtubi, Ibn al-Qayya, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Kathir, Jalal al-Din al-Suyuti and Imam al-Shawkani. So when you hear me referring to the scholars, these are the scholars that I have taken my work from today. And obviously, when we talk about the atmosphere of what was taking place, we refer back to the famous biography of the Prophet وسلم, in the book Rahikul al So, Allah Subhānahu wa He says, وَلَا أَنَا عابد مَا وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدْ لَكُمْ دينكم Commonly translated as Say, O you disbelievers, you do not worship. I do not worship that which you worship. You do not worship that which I worship. Nor shall I worship that which you worship. Nor shall you worship that which I worship. So to you be your way and to me be mine. This is the common translation that we find in the Qur'an. This Surah is number 109 in the Qur'an. It comes just after Surah Al-Kawfa, inna a'artaynaaka Al-Kawfa, and it comes before Surah Al-Nasr, idha jah a Nasrullahi wal-Fatiha. This Surah is a Makki Surah, so it was revealed in Mecca. And what is very important to note, is that it was revealed approximately in the 10th year of the Meccan period. It was revealed approximately in the 10th year of the Meccan period and that is very important to, to understand uh, as we will come to see through the tafsir. So if we want to talk about the atmosphere of what was taking place at the time, we find that after a decade of hard, strenuous da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ working in the society, trying to change the ways of Quraysh, we find that he wasn't getting very far with it. He wasn't getting very far with them. In fact, the harder he tried, the more stubborn they became on their kufr. The harder he tried, the more stubborn they became on their kufr. And at the beginning, they left him. You know, there were other people in the society calling for different things, calling for one God. And so at the beginning they left him. But then he began, he, to them he became a bit of a nuisance. They became frustrated with him because he was always in their face, calling them to Islam. But then they noticed something. They noticed that this man, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he wasn't only calling for one God. Now there were other people calling for different things, but he wasn't only calling for one God. He was attacking their way of life. He was attacking the way they used to cheat in the scales. He was attacking the way they used to treat their women. He was attacking the way they used to bury their daughters alive. He was attacking the way they used to uh, benefit economically in the hajj season from the idols that they had around the garden. He was attacking their way of life. And then they noticed something else. Not only was he doing this, but his dawah was gaining momentum. He began to win over some of the more influential people in the society. So we saw the Islam of Abu Bakr as siddiq We saw the Islam of Uthman ibn Affan. We saw the Islam of Abd rahman ibn Awf, Heavy hitters. Influential people in the society. Power brokers right? then later on we saw the Islam of Hamza and Umar Ibn Khattab uh, here the Quraysh become threatened they become threatened before they left him but now what's going on he's winning some of the more powerful people in the society so they bring out a policy they bring out a law that everybody is allowed to practice and preach whatever they like except for Muhammad and his followers They brought out this law. Everyone is allowed to practice and preach whatever they like, complete freedom, except for Muhammad and his followers. And they began their persecution and their repression against the Muslims. They began their persecution and their repression against the Muslims. And we know many of the Sahaba were tortured. Many of them were imprisoned. Some of them were even killed. We know the story of Bilal. We know the story of Khabar. We know the story of Sumayya, Ammar and Yasir, right? They were going through so much difficulties. They were going through so much difficulties. The Prophet himself was attacked. Verbally, they used to mock him, they used to ridicule him, they used to insult him, and physically they used to torture him as well. And they used to persecute him. And we know all of the stories. At the same time, while this was happening and they had this persecution going on in the society of Mecca, they would approach Abu Talib. They would approach Abu Talib and they would put pressure on him. Because you know Abu Talib was the uncle of Rasul and he was the leader of their tribe, Benny Hashem, and he was the one who was protecting Muhammad in the society. It was a tribal society, so you would always need a protector. So Abu Talib was protecting his nephew and they would approach him, you know, putting pressure on him, threatening him. Can't you get your nephew to stop what he's doing? Can't you get him to stop attacking our gods? Stop attacking our forefathers? Can't you get him to stop attacking our way of life? And Abu Talib was at that stage was an old man. He used to go to his to the Prophet ﷺ and he used to tell him, Look, please, O oh my nephew, don't place a burden on me that I cannot bear. Stop attacking their gods. Stop ridiculing their way of life. Worship your God. Pray. Do what you need to do, but leave them alone. Leave them alone. And we know the famous response of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, Wallahi yaam. He said, Wallahi my uncle, if they were to put the sun in my right hand and the moon in my left, in order for me to stop this message, I will never give it up. Hatta أَوْ Until I make it victorious, until Allah makes it victorious, or I die trying. He said this to his uncle and his uncle said, Go ahead, my nephew, I will support you. I will support you to the end. And the Prophet ﷺ continued in his Dawah. So there was a lot of tension building up in the society. The harmony was gone. This harmony that we see was gone. But in the 10th year, in the 10th year, some significant events took place. His uncle Abu Talib, the one we just mentioned that he was his protector in the society, the one whom the Prophet ﷺ loved very much, he passed away. He passed away in the 10th year. And the Prophet was affected by this because again, as I mentioned, he raised him up from some, such a young age, he loved him very much, yet he was not able to guide him to Islam. He was not able to guide his own uncle to Islam. Also, in the tenth year, his wife Khadijah, she too passed away. Straight after each other. You can imagine the pressure building up on, on Rasulullah, his beloved wife, his only wife at the time, the one who bore all of his children. The one who was his emotional supporter and his financial supporter. So now he has lost his two pillars, the ones that were supporting him in the society. Add to that the torture and the persecution and the repression. and yani the, They were going through so much. Khabab ibn al-Arab, he would come crying to Rasulullah. A grown man would come crying to Rasulullah. They used to burn hot rocks, cold. And they used to place him on the coal, burning holes in his back. Khabbab later said that when they would do this, I could smell my flesh cook. I would smell my flesh cook. And he would come to Rasulullah and he would be crying, Ya Rasulullah, will you not make du'a? I said, Rasulullah. Will you not ask Allah to give us the victory that we're going through so much? Add to that, his sons had died. The Prophet's sons had passed away at a very young age. And when they passed away, the kufar came out mocking Rasulullah. They came out mocking, dancing, and yelling in the streets. Muhammadun, Muhammadun, Muhammadu. Muhammad has been cut off. Muhammad has been cut off. What? Because you know, it's the, the boys, the males that carry the name of the father. And so when the, when they passed away, they said, Muhammad has been cut off, no one to carry his name. How wrong they were. That Muhammad is the one who is the most praiseworthy one in this world today the one who is the most beloved on this world today, the one whose name is carried the most on this world today, subhanAllah. So we can imagine all this pressure building up. Quraysh now, because Abu Talib was out of the way, they begin to prepare and to plan the assassination of Rasulullah They begin to prepare his assassination to get him out of the way once and for all. But some of the leaders of Quraysh, they came together and they said, look, before we kill him, and then we may spark a war with Bani Hashan, let us approach him one last time. Let us approach him one last time. We will make him some offers he cannot refuse. You know, at the same time, in the back of their mind, they were trying to bring back some harmony in the society. It was very easy for them to, to try to kill him. But at the same time, they were trying to bring back the harmony because we know the famous statement when people became Muslims, father went against the son, son went against the father. So they were trying to bring back this harmony. So they came to him and they said, Oh Muhammad wasallam, the chiefs of Quraysh have gathered together and they want to offer you a deal you cannot refuse. We want to offer you something you cannot refuse. Prophet said, he remained silent. They said, how about we worship your god for one year and then you worship our god for another year one year of shirk one year of islam one year of toff one year of tawhid let's try your way and then you try our way what did the people choose or if you're not happy with that deal we if it's power that you want we will make you the most powerful man in makkah and if it is wealth that you want we will make you the richest man among us. And if it is women that you want, we will gather the finest women of Mecca and we will marry them to you. Or if you are possessed or suffering of an illness, we will gather the best physicians to cure you. Just leave us alone. Alright, they made these offers to you. We'll give you all of this power, status, wealth, position, women. Just leave us alone. Alright. And it was at that point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was so disgusted at them. That, you know, we say it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Allah was so disgusted at them at this point that He immediately revealed the surah and the Prophet recited it to them. Because this is what we call today's terminology, character assassination at its best. Right? The Prophet never wanted to ask for power. Never once did he ask for wealth. Never once did he ask for women. Right? But they were saying, no, 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 no. You've got a hidden agenda. What is it? Power? Women? Money? We'll give it to you. Just leave us alone. Right? And that's why Allah was so disgusted at them that He revealed this surah and the Prophet recited it to them. You see, Quraysh, they realized something. They realized that this man, Muhammad wasallam was not going to stop. He was not going to stop. Even if they killed him, his followers were going to continue. They knew that he was, he was never going to stop. Right? So they felt, you know, being in a position of political power, that the best solution in this case is what we call a political compromise. Let us make a compromise with him. Right? One year, one year, one month, one month, right? Bit of wealth, bit of power, right? Bring him in. Containment policy. Right? Bring him in. And this is happening today. Right? They cannot stop the da'wah of Islam, bring him in. We'll offer them some money, some wealth, right? We'll hold some dinners, bring him in. Containment policy They tried that with the Prophet. But the problem, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions this in the Quran, law They wish that you compromise a little bit, and they are willing to compromise. They are willing to give you some things to benefit you and to benefit your deen, but they want you to compromise as well. So, the problem with the offerings is what does Allah wa ta'ala already promise his messenger what does Allah wa ta'ala say in the surah just before surah al kafirun Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala says inna al verily o Muhammad we have given you al kawfar sallallahu alaihi wasallam what is al-kauthar Al-Kawfar, commonly today we understand al kawfar as being a river from the paradise that Allah has gifted to a messenger and we all pray and we hope that one day we get a chance to drink from the hands of Rasulullah. But another way we understand and the way the scholars have interpreted the word uh, Al-Kawthar is that in the Arabic language we have the word Kathra, which means an amount of something, a, 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 a number, an abundance of something. Right? And then we have the word Kathir, which is larger than Kathra. It is larger, it's a, it's a larger amount. And then we have the word Al-Kawthar, which is larger than Kafr and Kathir put together. It is the largest amount you can get. So when Allah Subh'anaHu Wa is saying, إِنَّا al He is saying, we have given you so much. We have given you so much in Al-Jannah. We have given you the river of Al-Kawthar. We have given you the highest maqam in Al-Jannah. So now guess what? Bribery is at the door. You cannot bribe this man with anything. You cannot make offers to this man. Because Allah wa ta'ala has given him al-kawthar. And when Allah wa ta'ala says, هُوَ الْأَبْتَرُ Verily, your enemies, they are the ones who will be cut off. All right? remember they were saying, بَتَرَ مُحَمَّدٌ Allah wa ta'ala says, no, your enemies, they are al-abtar, they are the ones that will be cut off. So now with that ayah, the threat of Quraysh has been taken out of the mind of the messenger. You cannot offer him anything, nor do you pose a threat. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that you don't need to consider any of their offers. In fact, you don't even respond to them. I will respond to them. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Say, oh you disbelievers. Right? Just in the word قُلْ, the Quraysh received a loud and a clear message. That this deen is not the deen of Muhammad sallallahu for him to compromise with. This deen belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just in the word "cool," they understood. He does not speak from himself, it is but revelation to him. Just in the word "cool," they understood this man, it's not normal language. right? This man is, someone is inspiring him to say these things. And the kuffar today, they are in the same tobacco. They don't understand why aren't the Muslims willing to compromise? Why aren't the Muslims willing to integrate and to let go of those aspects? of Islam that we're not happy with. This concept of ummah, this concept of Sharia, this concept of Jihad. They don't understand, why are the Muslims willing to compromise with us? We are, give them wealth, we give them whatever they need. We tell them because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala says Qul. Meaning, we are in no position to compromise the deen of Allah. We are in no position to water down the deen of Allah. And just in the word Qul, we take this understanding. <clears throat> The scholars here, they begin to discuss. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala label them Al-Kafirun? Why did He not use the label Al-Mushrikun? Because we knew them as those who committed shirk. We understood them to their crime as being shirk. They did not deny Allah. They did not deny Allah. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, man wal-arḍ." If you were to ask them who created the heavens and the earth, most definitely they will say Allah. So they did not deny Allah but they associated partners with Him. But they were called Al Kafirun because they had the best opportunity to accept Islam. They had the best opportunity. They were in the best position to accept Islam. Because you know, generally when it comes to da'wah, right? When it comes to da'wah, Generally, it depends on the da'i himself. What kind of a da'wah carry is he? Does he have good character? Does he have good morals? Does he have good speech? Does he have wisdom in the way he delivers his message? Does he know the people that he is talking to? Does he know his audience? Do the people know him? Do they trust him? Does Allah put barakah in his words? All of this matters when you are giving dawah. But whose dawah did they receive? They received the da'wah of the best da'i ever to walk the face of the earth. They received the Dawah of Muhammad sallallahu the one who had the best character, the best morals, the best wisdom. The Barakah of Allah was always said. On top of that, he came with miracles. He showed the miracles. And add to that, they did not only know him, they used to love him. They used to call him the Sadiq as Sadiq al-Ameen, the truthful, the trustworthy. Allah reminds them in the Quran, بمجنون, Your friend your companion is not crazy, reminding them that he was your friend, you used to love him. Now all of a sudden he's gone crazy, right? They were called Al-Kafirun because they rejected the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They rejected the Qur'an. They rejected the miracles that they saw with their very eyes. They refused to leave their shirk and their idols and they refused to worship Allah the way he wants to be worshipped. Right? You know in the Arabic language, rejection and refusal is called qafr. Another powerful meaning we get from the word or the label al-kafirun is that in the Arabic language, the word qafr also means a denial of a favor. One who denies a favor. This You can get the meaning of qafr from this. One who denies a favor. And Quraysh, they were the ones that received many favors from Allah. Many favors and blessings from Allah they received. (laughs) Have you forgotten how Allah dealt with the people of the elephant who came out to destroy you and to destroy the Kaaba? Did you not see how Allah made their plots go astray? It didn't happen long ago. You should still remember. Right? Uh, a favor from Allah. If you have forgotten that favor, what about the of Quraysh? The trade industry of Quraysh. it was safe. Was it not Allah who kept you safe on your trade journeys in the summer and the winter? Was it not Allah, the one who fed them from their hunger and kept them safe from their feet? And after all these favors and blessings, And on top of this, out of all the people in the world that Allah could have chosen to emerge, His last and His final messenger, He chose you, the people of Quraysh, to be the recipients of the last messenger sent to mankind. It was Quraysh who received the last revelation sent to mankind. Look at this honor, this blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And after this, you don't only reject Him, but you persecute Him, you exile Him, you torture Him, you boycott Him. The only description for you now is Ya you had Oh you ungrateful rejecters. Oh you ungrateful rejectors. The next four ayat, that the ones that repeat themselves, they are dealing with a major concept in Islam. A very important concept in Islam that wallahi sometimes some of us don't understand it comprehensively. And because we don't understand it comprehensively, we find ourselves running into trouble. And that is the concept of ibadah, the concept of ubudiyah. Just in these four short verses, the concept of ibadah is mentioned eight times. Just in these four short verses. In each verse, it is mentioned twice. So in order to get a clear understanding of what this struggle was taking place over, we need to define the concept of ibadah. When Prophet is saying لَا مَا وَلَا أَنْتُمْ مَا أعبد, We need to understand, okay, this clash is taking place over the ibadah. They had a problem with the ibadah of Muhammad And we need to define this because at the same time you have to understand there was Jews, there was Christians, there was the Rostrians, there was some other muwahideen. Why did they not have any problem with the ibadah? Why was there no issue with them? Why was there an issue with the ibadah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi sallam? So we need to understand this concept. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, may Allah be pleased with him, he gives an excellent description on this concept. He said that ibadah consists of two components. Two components. Number one, worship. And worship involves taa, obedience to Allah and to Him first. Because you know you can obey uh, your boss at work, the wife can obey the husband, the, the t- children can obey their parents. But ta'ah here is to obey Allah before everything else. Again, under worship, we have hub, to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anything else. Under worship, we have tawakkul, to have full trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as well, we have ikhlas, to do things purely for the sake of Allah. Purely for the sake of Allah. All these things come under the aspect of worship. And the second Component of ibadah is to understand the terms of slavery. To understand the terms of slavery. And there's a difference between the two. You know, when we go to Salat al and we do it out of obedience to Allah, we do it out of love for Allah, we do it with complete trust that this action is going to get us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we do it with ikhlas, we are worshiping Allah. And same with Salat al-Asr, Salat al maghrib and the rest of them. But what you do in between the two prayers will now determine whether you have accepted the terms of slavery or not. What kind of a husband are you? What kind of a father are you? What kind of a wife, a mother? What kind of an employer are you? What kind of a ruler are you? Are you ruling with the Sharia of Allah? All these things, the way you go about your transaction, your day-to-day life, this will determine whether you have accepted the terms of slavery. Are you fulfilling the Islamic principles in your life? And, and this is a problem, because some of the brothers, as the brother mentioned last week, bid, they pray, but they may cheat in the business. They may lie when they are selling cars. Or the sisters, jilbab, some niqab, Masha'Allah, they pray, but in between the prayers, they might gossip, or they might do unlawful things, right? So, ibadah is these two components. To worship Allah and to accept the terms of slavery, to accept that you are a Abd of Allah. Quraysh were breaking both aspects. Quraysh were breaking both aspects. They were worshipping idols and they were enslaved to their desires. They were enslaved to their desires. So when the Prophet is telling them, لا ما تعبدون, he is telling them, I will not worship your gods and I will not accept your way of life. I will not accept your way of life. Right? I will not worship your gods. They never a problem with that. Worship your God. Do whatever you want. But when he said, I will not accept your way of life, and they understood the concept of ibadah, this is where they had a problem. This is where they had a problem. Just in the word la, la a'budu. The Prophet ﷺ is telling them, I will never, never, ever, ever accept your system of life. I will never accept your ibadah. So don't get your hopes up. Because you know, remember they were coming with these offers to try to bring back... This harmony in society. The Prophet ﷺ is telling him, Disharmony, forget about it. I will never accept it from you. And you will not accept my عبادة. You will not accept my way of life. You will not accept to leave your positions. You will not accept to give up the wealth which you are taking from the people. You will not accept this way of life. Right? So where do we go from here? To you be your way and to me be mine." Before I get on to the explanation of this last ayah, uh, some of the scholars mentioned why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeated Himself in this surah. There was a repetitiveness. I will not worship that which you worship, nor shall you worship that which I worship, nor shall... He repeated himself again. The scholars have given some reasons. I'll mention three of them. Number one, to emphasize the point. Just in case I missed it the first time, all right? This is harsh language. You know, you tell your son, you're angry at your children, you tell them, get to your room. Get in your room, I said. Tell them twice, okay, I heard you the first time. Right? Harsh language. All right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using this harsh language with Quraysh. Never will we accept your ibadah, nor at this stage are you going to accept the ibadah of Muhammad and the deen of Islam. The second uh, benefit that we can understand from the repetitiveness is that the two first ayat could be referring to the future while the two second ayat could be referring to the past. You, I will not worship that which you worship nor shall you worship that which I worship nor have I ever worshipped that which you worshipped nor have you ever worshipped that which I worship. You remember they were claiming to be on the religion of Ibrahim? Quraysh were claiming to be on the religion of Ibrahim. The one who called for Tawheed. And the Prophet i is telling him, you have never been... On the religion of Tawheed nor will you ever be at this stage and the third benefit that we can understand from this repetitiveness is that they made two offers and Allah rejected both of them they made him two offers and Allah closed the door to both of those offers so we have come to the last ayah in the surah where Allah says to you be your deen and to me be my deen. Unfortunately, today some Muslims have misinterpreted this ayah. Today, some Muslims have misinterpreted this ayah to mean the exact opposite of what it came to to serve, the purpose it came to serve. They interpret it to mean the exact opposite. That, look, let us live together with the Kufa in peace, in harmony, tranquility. We take from their system, they can take from our system. Let us yeah, coexist. Why are you trying to rock the boat? Why are you trying to change them? Let us work together. Because Allah says, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ To them be there their way and to us be our way. Why are you trying to change? Right? This interpretation doesn't only go against the majority of the scholars, but it goes against the entire maqasad of the deen. The whole purpose of what this deen came to serve. It goes against the whole seerah of Muhammad wasallam. It doesn't fit anywhere. This interpretation, it doesn't fit. Uh, just if we want to mention how the Prophet ﷺ recited it to them. If we just want to mention the narration that was reported of how he recited it to them, wallahi, it would be enough of a tafsir for us. Because it was said that when they made these offers, Allah taala revealed this surah. There was a pause. The Prophet ﷺ took the revelation and he recited it to them. And the scholars said, he walked straight up to them, and and the narration mentions, فَقَامَ عَلَى رُؤُوسِهِمْ فَقَرَاهَا عَلَيْهِمْ He stood up over their heads, and he recited it down to them. You know like the one bridging up for a fight? His face went red, and he walked up to their face, and he recited it straight to their face, like the one bridging up for a fight. Wallahi, I I was trying to think of an example of what that would be like today. What would that be like today? And the only thing I could think of was George Bush. You know, in 2001, George Bush came out with his game, right? Dick Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell, Donald Rumsfeld. And he made his statement, you are with us or you are against us. Right? The war against, Afghanistan, the war against Islam. You are with us or you are against us. Imagine walking up to him by yourself. Walking straight up to his face and all of his people and saying, I am not with you, I was never with you, and I will never be with you. Imagine that. That's what the Prophet ﷺ did. He walked straight up to them by himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say, Qulu, he said, Qul, by yourself. Go up to them and tell them, I am not with you, and I will never be with you. This was the bravery of the Prophet. ﷺ. And we don't need to revise the bravery and the courage of the Prophet. ﷺ. We don't need to mention what happened at the Battle of Hunayn. We know how brave the Prophet sallallahu was. That was just a side note. InshaAllah now we'll analyze the ayah itself. If the first analyzation we can make of this ayah is, when was it revealed? It was revealed in the 10th year, after a decade of struggle, after a decade of da'wah, after a decade of persecution and repression. Prophet trying to change them, trying to change their way of life. If there's no problem between the civilization of Islam and the civilization of Tuf, then this would have been revealed in the first year, second year. Muhammad Allah, don't worry about them. You go your way, let them go their way. The, the desert is wide. You establish yourself somewhere else if we want to take that interpretation. But this came after a decade of struggle and hardship trying to change their way of life. So the Prophet wa ta'ala is saying, "Lakum He is telling them that the doors of exchange between us is now closed. The doors of discussion have now been closed. Because words have failed us. Words have failed us. You have failed to accept my da'wah. And you have reached the point of no return. So the only thing left between us is the sword. The only thing left between us is the sword. Imam... Abu al maududi he says that this statement لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وليدين, this was a declaration of war not a statement of tolerance Ibn Kathir, he mentions that this statement was a line that the Prophet drew in the sand to completely dis-own and to move away and to make himself distinct from their shirk and from their kufr. This was a clear distinction between the deen of Tawheed and the deen of shirk. In other words, you have failed to give me the material support that I need to establish the deen of Allah, so you leave me with no choice but to go elsewhere. And that's why we find that after the 10th year, the Prophet ﷺ began to get outside of Mecca to seek that material support. We call it in the seerah, seeking the Nusrah. He started going outside of Mecca seeking that material support from other tribes because Quraysh had failed him. So it was a precursor for the hijrah. This surah was a precursor for the hijrah. It was a precursor for the battles to come. Because one of the legacies of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi was to purify the house of Allah. One of his legacies was to purify the house of Allah to bring it back to the deen of Tawheed. And since Quraysh were in charge of the Ka'bir and they were not willing to play ball with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi the only other way is by force. The only other ways by force, and we saw this when he came back with Fatah Mecca. And he entered Mecca humbly, but when he walked in and he destroyed the idols, we know he's famous. Uh, saying that he said when he recited from the Quran, الْبَاقِلَ الْبَاقِلَ say, Truth has come and falsehood has vanished. Not coexistence. Falsehood will always be deemed to perish. Another way we can understand this ayah is, again, let us understand the words that are used in this ayah. And the main word, this struggle that was taking place between them was over the deen. To you be your deen and to me be my deen. So again, let us understand what does this concept deen, what does it mean? What, how can we understand it in its context? The word deen in the Arabic language comes from the root word "dain", which is a loan. Something you owe me or something that I owe you, right? It's a loan. And so the way we can understand it is, number one, the day of judgment. Because Allah is din", the owner of the day of judgment. Because it is on that day that you will take from the people what is owed to you and the people will take from you what is owed to them. If you've harmed someone, they're going to get it back. If you've harmed someone, if someone's harmed you, you'll get it back. If you've done good, you'll see it. If someone's done good to you, they will see it. That final exchange, that loan that you do in this transaction, in this dunya, you'll see it on the day of judgment. That's why we understand uh, Yalm al-Din coming from the word loan. Because it's on that day, that final exchange will take place. Another way we understand the word Deen is to mean a government. Because it is the government that takes from the people what is owed to the state and it gives the people, the citizens, what is owed to them. So it will give them the health care, it will give them uh, the education system, it will give them all the things that is owed to the citizens, their rights, and it will take from the citizens what is owed to the government. The zakat, the Kharaj, the ushur, the jizya, right? It is a government that takes care of the loan, the transaction between state and its citizens. So when the Prophet is telling them, to you be your deen and to me be my deen, he's telling them that you can continue in your animosity against me, you can continue in your hatred against me, you can continue in this war against Islam and the Muslims, but you will come to see the consequences of your actions. Both in this dunya, when I establish my deen, and in the next life when we go back to be judged by who? Maliki Deen. You will get exactly what you deserve from Allah, And I will also get exactly what I deserve from Allah. So to you be your way, and to me be mine, and we will see who will come out on top. This was a challenge. We will see who will come out on top. We will see who will end up victorious. Because I will not stop. The Messenger is telling them, I will not stop until I fulfill my mission. What was the mission of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? It is Allah who has sent His messenger with the guidance and a true deen, a true system of life, so that it may prevail and dominate over every other deen, every other way. Even though you mushrikeen, you may detest it. <coughs> this wraps up the general tafsir of Surah Al Kafiroon. What is important to note is that this surah is talking about the leaders of Kufr. It is not talking about the average man. It is not talking about your neighbors, your non-Muslim neighbors, your non-Muslim colleagues at work. With them, it is continuous da'wah. Even if they may be harsh with you, even if they may insult you, with them it is complete and continuous da'wah until the day of judgment. But this surah is talking about those who we call in the Qur'an al mala the chiefs, the leaders, the power brokers, the policy makers, those who plot and plan every minute of the day to try to destroy the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu wa That is where the struggle takes place. That is where this clash is taking place. And that's what we understand from the seerah of Muhammad sallallahu wa With the common man, it was da'wah, It was kindness. It was humbleness. It was trying to win their hearts and their minds to Islam, to the deen of Allah. But with those who were plotting against him, قُلْ أَيُّهَا with those leaders, Tabbat Yada Abi لَهَا بِنْ So we need to separate the two issues. With the non-Muslims, da'wah, with those who are plotting against this Ummah, there's another methodology in the, in the seerah of Muhammad for that. <coughs> today, my brothers in Islam, the leaders of kufr wish to stand in the face of Islam. The kufar today, the leaders of kufr, they are standing in the face of the da'wah of Islam to try to stop the re establishment of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The same way Quraysh stood in the face of Muhammad. The same way. The only difference is technology has progressed. That's the only difference. The shaitan of yesterday is the same shaitan that advises the kuffar today on how to is- attack Islam and the Muslims. They are waging this war. And we need to be aware of this on all fronts. Economically, ideologically, and militarily. But they have come to realize something. Just as Quraysh realized. That the Muslims are not going to stop. The Muslims are not going to give up their deen. They are not going to compromise their deen. The youth are growing up. Alhamdulillah to places such as these places, the youth can come and learn and have this attachment and this the love to their deen, and they have realized that the Muslims are not going to give up. They are not going to throw in the tower. In fact, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. And so, they are trying different means and styles in order to try to contain the Muslims, but they are only going to delay the inevitable end. They are only going to delay the inevitable end. So, as followers of Muhammad Wasallam, we need to carry the burden of this doubt. The day we said, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulallah, the amanah fell on our neck. To carry this deen, to carry a, what a privilege, what an honor. What a status that Allah has given you that you are the inheritors of the prophets. You are the inheritors of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the companions to carry this deen, to bring about the reestablishment of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need to carry that burden. And while we do this, we need to keep in the back of our mind that this deen's victory has been promised. Allah has promised it in many ayat. The Prophet ﷺ has promised it in many prophecies and many ahadith. So we need to believe in those promises and we need to work for those promises. We, we don't need more people to criticize. We're never going to get there. We're too divided. We're too bad. We're too, we're too, we're too. We're too. We have enough critics in this deen. We have enough skeptics in this ummah we need people to now put their actions on the on the line. We need people to come forward and start to work for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that we may earn at least the pleasure of Allah and that we implement the policy of the Prophet, that we work until we establish a deen, or we die trying. Or we die trying. And I'll leave it there, inshaAllah.